Welcome to the On The Edge Podcast with your host, Scott Groves. Hey, what's up all? It's Scott Groves here with my longtime friend, uh, Mike McCarthy, who he's like the Caucasian most interesting man in the world. Uh, he and his father started and kind of grew the KW, I would say market area in like Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware. He's an investor in North Florida, uh, Keller Williams operations. So I think somewhere around 11,000 realtors in America report up to Mike McCarthy and his partners at some level responsible for like $25 billion in sales. Obviously that's created some freedom which allowed Mike to be one of the, uh, I think, co-founders of GoBundance, which is a men's group. Uh, he and his wife wrote a book in the Miracle Morning series. Uh, he's like a prolific traveler, great father, from what I can tell, your interactions with your kids. We're in front row dads together. It's just, um, it's kind of nuts that all the stuff that Mike finds time to squeeze into his busy life Um and we've, we've just had a lot of great conversations. Like, I got to have you on the podcast to talk about how in the hell do you manage it all? Uh, do you have your fingers in all these different kind of businesses and ventures? And yes, welcome welcome to the podcast, Caucasian Most Interesting Man in the World. Thank you. Thank you. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> how, where, where does life find you these days? Because I know uh, sometimes you're living in Colorado. You, you've lived in Philadelphia a lot of your life. And where, where are you at now? Uh, pretty much home base. Most of the time now is Austin. Uh, our kids are in schools that they love here and they don't like to miss school. They're on different schedules, so their breaks don't line up. So we we spend quite a bit of time in Texas here in Austin where we moved uh, right before the pandemic. So good timing on our part. I wish I would have bought 10 more houses when I moved here. <laughs> yeah, of course, right? Um, hindsight's twenty twenty. I remember the first time I went to Austin about five years ago, my wife and I looked at a couple uh, houses in like Lakeview neighborhood, you know, or further north in like Round Rock or Red Rock or whatever it's called. And, you know, we, we'd be up about 100% in value now if we would have bought five years ago. So it is what it is. But um, tell us a little bit about growing a giant real estate empire with your dad. And uh, kind of, I know at some point you, you took over and just poured lighter fluid on it. And uh, what is your involvement in Keller Williams at this point? Like, are you doing day-to-day -day real estate stuff? Or are you just a silent investor? I'm, I'm really fascinated in, like, what's the business model of having a kind of empire that large. Yeah. I mean, you know, first and foremost, like you can't do anything big without a strong team. So, you know, for every project and every venture that I take on, even down to my investing, I have uh, people that are my partners or who are my employees that uh, handle these, uh, you know, operations, the details. I'm more of the visionary type. Uh, I keep my hand in everything, but it's more to pat people on the back and to help them to shine and to help them solve the, the larger, bigger problems. And also to ensure that, you know, working in my world leads to wealth building. You know, that's something that I take seriously. And it's not just the building of tangible assets, but also the intangible assets and legacy that someone might leave behind. So I'm a big proponent of families and you know, putting family first and leading at home the same way you might at work because, you know, children are our future. 
So, you know, I, I tend to look at business as a vehicle to create opportunity for other people. And when I do that correctly, it frees me up to go do something else as a visionary. And so, you know, that's how I keep everything moving is I find great partners and great people, and then I give them great opportunities. And then uh, I'm extraordinarily grateful for those individuals. And I I'm generous with them. I treat them with respect and, you know, people want to work with me because they know that there's great opportunity to learn and also to, to earn. So it's a great situation and building Keller Williams from when I started uh, to where it is today is a magical experience. Like you couldn't, you can pay for that education anywhere to join uh, my father as his assistant and slowly learn that the size of this opportunity that he had seized and also realize the pressures that went along with it because we had to sell a certain number of franchises every single year, or they take the region back from you because you have to meet development schedules. So, you know, I came in pretty green and uh, learned a lot from my dad really quick, probably thought I knew more than I actually did and tried to take over faster than I probably should have. But at the same time, my dad was very gracious. Um, he semi-retired pretty early, lived in an, you know, lives an amazing life and is proud of me for what um, I dove in and did. Uh, he, he had to sit on the sidelines and try to guide me and I'm kind of thick headed. So it wasn't an easy job on his part, but, you know, it gave me that freedom to make my own mistakes, become my own man and eventually take over our family legacy, which is a great honor. And I feel a great responsibility to pay that forward, not only to my own family, to, but to anybody who might be an entrepreneur. So I'm passionate about that space and working with entrepreneurs and, and building wealth, you know, in our families and in our lives and in, even in our health. So. So I'm going to push back a little bit for the viewer that might be rolling their eyes a little bit, right? Because um, I, I know some people that would say, oh, yeah, it's it's super easy to put family first and become self-actualized and whatnot after you've made it and the money's coming in and or you're rich, uh -huh. whatever that means in modern America. But I remember a time, and I've seen the pictures shortly before we met where you were about 50 pounds heavier, you, you, you've, you've mentioned in you know, talks that you've given publicly that you were not happy, that you were micromanaging, that you weren't putting family first. Um, can you talk a little bit about that transition where it was like at some point, hey, I've got to give up some revenue or I've got to give up some control. You know, I've got to invest in other people to bring in great leaders because I met you right after you had made that transition where you're like, hey, if I got to give up money to bring in other good people because I can't do it all and I have to focus on my family and my health. You know, there I, I remember there was a time when we first met through Hal where it was like, I don't know if I've made the right decision. Like I just gave up a whole lot of my net worth, my income to like pursue this better health, better family. And I know, you know, I know the punchline that that actually led to more wealth and more opportunity. But can you talk about that scary moment when like you were trying to do everything yourself, you were trying to, to keep all the money internally in the family, you weren't investing in other people, your health was shit, you know, you made that transition consciously. And, you know, now being on the other side of it, people look at it and be like, oh, well, I, that was so easy. He was just born rich, da, 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 da. And it's like, no, no, he had to make some real fucking tough decisions. So can you, can you go back to that mindset maybe seven or 10 years ago and kind of speak to that? 
Yeah, what a great question. And it's fun to just explore that myself and think back to those times. But, you know, it for me, it, it was, uh, you know, an opportunity for me to, to learn that, you know, two sides of the same coin and to understand that, you know, there's two different ways to approach anything. And one is to go all in and, and hustle and grind and, and like make it happen. And I did that for many years and it works. What I found is that it didn't really lead me to success and fulfillment. It led me to success but it was missing the fulfillment part of it. And so what happened was out of obligation and necessity and maybe even desperation, I had to start seeking the answer to the question, which was if I'm, if I've become so successful and I've achieved all these goals, why am I still so unhappy? And that was when I was doing everything myself. And I had to, to realize and wake up to the fact that, you know, my businesses were part of my vision and they were part of something that I built, but they weren't me. There was more to me than just my titles or my businesses or my, my accolades or trophies that I might've won. And so I had to realize that if I wanted to become the best version of me, the most, the truest version of me, I needed to let go of all of those other versions of Mike and just become who I am truly meant to be. And that person was someone who needed to focus more on their health, focus more on their family, needed to do the miracle morning more, needed to uh, lead other groups and, you know, contribute to nonprofits like One Life or, or Project Roar. And when I started doing those things, um, yes, I had to, to hire more people and I had to give up a little bit of what my ego might call like significance, because when you step out of a role, it's not often that you can't afford it or you don't, you can't find the right person. It's that you don't believe somebody can do a better job than you. You don't believe that if you put someone in that position that they will do a better job. In fact, part of you wants to believe they won't. And so you self-sabotage when you hire into those roles where you truly give up control. So I had to really align with people that I wanted to see them win. Like if they grew so big and did so well that they bought me out and, and I, and I lost all of my opportunity within the company because they were that good, that would be a good thing. And I would have given them a pathway to greatness and to success the same way my father gave me a pathway. So I feel that, that duty and that honor to, realize no matter what the role is, there's someone out there that can do it better than me. And if I just get out of my own way, I'll probably have more time to do what I love. And I'll probably end up making more money while I create an opportunity for another person. How beautiful is that cycle doing it that way versus I'm the technician, only I can sell houses, only I can list houses. You know, you, you right. find this in real estate all the time. No, no one would ever list their house with someone if I sent my teammate instead of me, they got to deal with me. Like that's, that's bullshit. Like uh, I've seen that disproven hundreds and thousands of times. 
yeah, you and I have a mutual friend, uh, Josh Painter, where like he doesn't even go on listing appointments anymore because he found like a younger, better looking, better talking version of himself. And he's like, dude, why would I ever take a listing appointment when I can send Garrett, who's better looking, better spoken, like he just he's listed more houses now at this point in his career. And I'll just take an override on him and give him an opportunity. So it's like Josh gets to sit at home and play drums and have a great living and be a great leader. And Garrett's so busy, he just bought like his second house in a Lambo. And it's it just, you know, most people never let their ego get out of the way to let the whether it's a younger person, a better person, whatever, come in and kind of take their fire. That's that's not easy as a man. Yeah, and it's not easy at all. And then they start, people start saying, like, clients probably say sh shit to Josh, like, man, Garrett is so awesome. He's doing such a great job. Everything has improved ever since he took over. Like, he's <laughs> right. the man. And you're sitting there like, this is awesome and it's heart-wrenching all at the same time because you know even with go abundance i experienced that like as the next guy would take over it's like man things have improved around here we're really picking up like who was that last dipshit that was <laughs> you know? like he did a bad job <laughs> it's like you just have to be able to grow out out of that if you want your life to be big you can't be boxed into one version of yourself like that so I think it's a, a symptom of that, wanting I, to live a big life. I love it, man. And I've got a question about that success versus fulfillment because I haven't heard I haven't heard somebody yet phrase it like that. Like, you know, we, we see it all the time. In the mortgage industry, it's like, yeah, uh, you know, and I, I won't use anybody's name, but let's just say some of the top producers in the industry, it's like, awesome. You know, you look at their numbers, they're doing X, Y, Z number, but they're also morbidly obese. And I happen to know behind the scenes, they're recently divorced and had to, you know, stroke a check for 10 million bucks to their ex-spouse because they made no time for them and you know they're probably going to spend a a large portion of their um their net worth on counseling for their kids you know I'm, I'm kind of projecting here obviously but you know it's scary like you can have all the business success in the world but there's really no fulfillment and, and maybe you're even going backwards um and I feel like in the movies or in real life there's got to be that moment you know like uh like um uh, miracle on 34th street or something like that, where it's like, there's that moment you almost get hit by a bus. You have a heart attack. Your spouse threatens to leave you. Was there a moment in time where you're like, Oh man, I, I got to shift priorities. Like, did you see a picture of yourself? And you're like, Oh man, I've gained a few LBs. Or was there a moment that hit you like a, like a, you know, a ton of bricks or was it kind of just like an evolution over your career where it's like, Hey, it's time to hand off this. It's time to focus a little bit more on here. Or was that like aha moment? Oh, birth of the second kid i've got to i've got to get my shit together yeah actually it was uh there was like this like 30 day period where i just didn't want to get out of bed um for 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 whatever reason i just stayed in bed and i just sort of sulked and was like what's the point like no one would know if i showed up today or not like you know i was just sort of like had a lost uh, period of time. And what's amazing is right before that, I got all geared up at this, this event. And I asked this coach, Janai Lane, like, Hey, will you work with me? And I, I thought I was being all bold and I was going to pay the money. And I thought she'd be like, Oh yeah, I'd love to work with you. And she was like, uh, I have a waiting list right now. Like you can't, sorry, you can't work with me yet. And I was like, Oh my God. So I just came back from that retreat and 
just laid in bed depressed for, a, you know, three, three, four weeks. And then she called me and said, oh, I have an opening. And I was like, uh, okay, I guess I'll get started. And then she started bringing me to a lot of like basic, what I would say basic tools now, but for anyone listening that hasn't done the work, you know, the inner work, you know, just writing in a gratitude journal, um, just meditating a guided meditation for five minutes a day. And, um, you know, it slowly brought me back to things that were, were part of who I am. Like being in shape is something I value as an identity. So I started losing weight and running again, running is something I used to do a lot of. So a little change in what you do, a little small change in a daily habit, it can snowball into bigger and, and, and more profound changes over time. So, you know, I just started chipping away at it and I'm not perfect by any means. I have a lot of chipping away left to do. And I have three coaches to this day. I still work with Janai Lane after 16 plus years. And um, I, ha- I work with Dr. Kelly with my wife. We do a, an every other week call, just, just coaching to make sure we're the best couple we can be. And then I, I also have a trauma coach that I work with that, that helps me work on, uh, you know, working with my inner child and really working on some deeper type stuff too. And then I have a health health coach. So the, the learning never stops. You know, I don't say that to brag. Like I say it to show everyone that there isn't this arrival point where you become successful. It's, it's you go get the help and the coaching and you do the work. So you just keep doing that work and your life grows and gets bigger and bigger. I, I guess I have a bit of a, of a negative or scarcity mindset. Cause I can always think about where people are rolling their eyes. Right. It's like, it's like, Oh, well, great. Yeah. Mark can, Mike can afford to, to have four coaches. It's like, well, yeah, but you can probably get 90% of the value of those coaches on YouTube for free. So, you know, I was reading their books. Yeah, exactly. I was talking to my son. I, I, you know, I have a 20 year old. I was talking to him the other day and I was, I was, I was so proud of him because he had to do something for a class, like some horrible art history class that he has to take that he has no interest in whatsoever. Um, but it's like a requirement of his college curriculum. And he's like, ah, I've got to do this canvas thing. Can you, you know, can you Venmo me a couple bucks for a canvas? I'm like, yeah, what are you going to do on a canvas? He's like, oh, I don't know. I just YouTube, like what's the fanciest post modern cheapest, easiest way to do art. And it was like adult you know, finger painting. So he made this, which, you know, I'm not saying this just because he's my son, this pretty cool, like finger painting handprint thing. And I was like, oh yeah, there's basically nothing you can't learn on YouTube if you're not motivated. So um, I, I, I just wanted to point that out to anybody that's like, well, I can't afford four coaches. It's like, yeah, but you can afford to go on YouTube for half an hour and learn something about yourself. Yeah. And, and you know what? Mentors are free usually. And you know, what's surprising about mentors is most mentors are willing to give you mentorship. If you just ask like for free, they'll help you. They'll still have lunch with you. They'll have coffee with you. What's funny is it's like, it's like the, the hot chick that no one wants to ask the prom, right? Because they think they're going to get shot down. So nobody asks the person to mentor them. And then they, if they do get up the courage to do it, they make a fatal mistake, which is they ask the mentor for advice and then they talk the whole time. They don't listen. They just, they just spew all over them. And then if the mentor does give them any kind of advice, they don't go implement it. 
So it's like people have to, to show up graciously and you'd be surprised what type of coaching or guidance mentorship you could get for free just by being somebody who's like eager to learn, curious, gracious. Maybe you find a way to contribute into that person's life, but there's always a way in the door. And like my friend Diego Corzo says, like if you can't find a way in the door, then you go around back and see if you can find your way in the window. Like there's right. always a way in no matter what. So totally in, uh, in the mortgage industry, there's an interesting corollary. The thing that all loan officers think that their company is hiding or the monsters on the bed is like our secondary department, right? The department that actually sets rates and sells the loans on the open market. And it's, it's like this crazy black box to loan officers that we don't really understand. So I reached out to the head of our secondary department. I was like, Hey man, like, I just want to understand this at a deeper level. Could I just come sit next to you for like three days and you teach me how you're selling the loans and pricing the book of the business and what a bid versus sell spread is. And mind you, this is like a very large company of a couple thousand loan officers. And he's like, Scott, you, you would be interested in what I do for a living. And I was like, yeah, like every loan officer says they want to learn it. And it's like kind of creepy. Cause like, we don't know how these rates are devised. And he's like, I would love for a loan officer to come sit with me who I could teach. I've never had a loan officer ask me that in my entire career. And I'm like, wait a minute, there's, there's this whole component of the mortgage space I could learn for free just by going and sitting next to this dude who's world-class at his job for three days. And I felt so stupid for not having asked previously. But to your point, now I got to get out there and just ask good questions and listen. Yeah, and it's because he's passionate about it and people want people to be interested in things that they're passionate about where there's a talent. So it's an opportunity to let somebody put on display what they do well. It's uh, And it's so beautiful because if all humans helped other humans learn what they needed to learn, like we wouldn't have to have coaches or schools or, you know, we could, we could teach the community. That's a big grand philosophy that we're very far from as a society but you know i think there's something to the fact that we all know something and we all have something to contribute or to teach and we can lean on each other if we're willing to ask for the help so i love that i, I want to pivot a little bit because you just have so much you're such a wealth of knowledge in business um it, feel free to share or don't share, but anything that's uh, out there in in the public space that people know you're involved with or an owner of, or you've got your fingers in, give us the rundown of the businesses that you either participate in as an owner, an investor, um, you know, a leader on the board of directors. What what are all the things that you're involved with? Obviously, we have a very large KW presence, but maybe speak a little bit more to that, and then all of the other businesses you got your fingers in. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm a, like you mentioned earlier, also a co-founder of GoBundance, which is a men's and women's organization, actually. So we've got about a hundred women members and about uh, 600 men uh, who are members. And that's just exploded the last couple of years. And it's a, it's an adventure based mastermind group where we bring in speakers and we facilitate uh, guys and gals connecting with each other to help exchange value and to share knowledge and to hold the space of authenticity where it's okay to need to grow still, even though you're might be successful in your career or in your, your work or in some area, everybody struggles in, in, in some area. So go abundance is 
about coming together so that we can help each other to be the best husbands, fathers, mothers, wives, and, and business people that we can possibly be. And that was started as a passion project, but very quickly turned into a monster organization that is led by Chris Ryan now. And then I've got uh, three other partners. And we started a book called The Tribe of Millionaires uh, that people can check out at tribeofmillionaires.com. You can pick up a free copy. Um, excuse me. And uh, I think Tribe of Millionaires is a great introductory to the power of putting getting around the right people. So whether it's front row dads or quantum leap mastermind, which you've been a part of Scott with, with me and, or the exchange community, um, just being a part of a community where you get around people is something I'm passionate about. So I do quite a bit of facilitation uh, when it comes to families. I've, I've run many family events for GoBundance uh, for a division that we created called FamBundance. Um, and that's not really its own business. It's more of just an organization. Um, and then, you know, I own some interesting things like uh, a small piece of a, a company called Growler Works. They make uh, growlers that keep your beer uh, uh, fresh for over a month in your refrigerator. So if you don't want to drink the whole growler, it's under CO2 pressure and it pours out kind of like a keg. And uh, they actually, you know, are doing about 15 million in sales a year of these things. So they're doing quite well. So um, we owned a brewery, but ended up selling it. Um, it just wasn't in the right location. And and then beyond that, like I just invest a lot with solid operators. Like I find people that that you know I can use my balance sheet and my money and in an investment to help bankroll somebody who can put the sweat equity in. They find the deal and then they they usually renovate and then we re-rent and then re refinance and then I'll get my money back and then we'll continue as partners. And so I I look for a lot of deals to deploy that are, um, you know, cash flow deals. Either I get my money back and we hold forever, or we hold it for a long time and just get a great cash flow and then get our money back. So multifamily, self storage, um, you know, we do a lot of funds or, or in that nature. I've dabbled in crypto just a little bit, but you know, I really like cash flow things and I like things that are service oriented. Um, I did start a nonprofit this last year to help um, people that have uh, limb differences to do outdoor uh, activities. It's called Roar Reimagined Outdoor Adaptive Recreation. And uh, we've built two snowboards for athletes so far that do not have legs. And so we have our own prototype of this thing. And I love snowboarding and I love serving and it's fun to get people out there um, doing something that they never thought they, that, you know, never dreamed that they could do. So we just started that recently. So, um, yeah, so there's a team for every single one of those things. So it sounds like a lot, but, you know, I, I serve more as a board of director or a key executive in most of those. And, you know, my job is the vision of, of a lot of these things. And the teams that surround me are much smarter than me. They're, they're really capable and there's a lot of love and loyalty you know they're like my extended family
So, so I've got, I've got a question yeah. about that. You know, hiring the right team members. Obviously, you have a group of people, many groups of people running the KW business, and you and the three founders at GoBundance, which I'm kind of intimately familiar with. You now have some executive assistants, and you and you brought on a real full time big boy CEO of the organization. You know, how many people do you say are either reporting directly to you or give you you know business updates on a weekly or monthly basis? Like, is is your week just filled with kind of back-to-back meetings as the CEO, the visionary, the board of directors saying, hey, you know, let's go over the key metrics, the KPIs, and I want to cast my vision? Or is there still some business operations where you're rolling up your sleeves and doing some of the day-to-day? I usually have about uh, anywhere from five to 10 calls leading those various teams every week. And, and some of them are just standing team calls that we do. Some of them are one-on-one from direct reports. Um, there's about four people that are my direct reports right now. Um, and then everyone else really reports to, to, to those four. Um, you know, in a perfect world, I would continue to, to scale that up to where, you know, it's one or two uh, direct reports. But... I like being involved and I, I love the people I work with. So it's great. Um, there's very little that they need me to do. Like I'll, I'll come in and I'll share an hour with a group of agents or leaders about wealth building, or I'm going to, I'm going to go and deliver a keynote about the miracle morning for parents and families playbook. So families can structure their values together and set their goals together and create a family meeting that keeps them all on the same page. Um, So, and then I will make connections so that they can bring in influencers like uh, Justin Donald is going to come do a mastermind for us. And so, you know, they tap my network and then they tap, you know, me for things to do that add value. And then if there's something that I need to, to address, like the purchase of a market center or, you know, uh, getting involved with a dispute between some market centers. Like if I need to, I'll get involved. But, uh, you know, my main, my main executive, uh, John Clyde, was formerly a, a state, a, a sergeant with the state troopers. And he's, you know, he's got lots of skills negotiating politics and, you know, uh, you know, s- sticky situations. And so he's solid. And then his backup is, Paula and Michelle, two other executives, and they know the details in the book inside and out. So when it comes to paperwork and knowing our stuff and having our numbers together, like on the real estate side, we're, we're dialed in. And the guy who runs my investment world is uh, another GoBundance guy who was a, a nuclear engineer and he wanted to leave his W-2. And uh, he came to work for me just, just this last year. And he's in charge of basically uh, doing every, being the chief of staff for me. So he's starting to be more of a right hand and fill in where's, where he's needed. And he, he talks to all of the different investments to check in and see how they're doing, reviews their operating agreements, like just does all of the detail, like integrator type stuff that, uh, that I'm not really capable of doing. So still building that team out, eventually it'll be a family office. You know, that's the the end goal is to have a family office. 
That's awesome. We're, ironically, for the first time in a long time, we're well ahead of schedule on uh, recording podcasts. So this might not come out till, you know, late summer of 2022, but we're filming this in May of 2022. Ironically, you mentioned crypto as that's completely melting down and shitting the bed. Um, you know, we've got kind of record high inflation everything feels a little frothy, right? It's like you can look at oil prices or gold prices or real estate prices or the stock market and everything feels kind of frothy uh, and kind of expensive and kind of at the top of the range. But with inflation, we can't just let money sit in the bank because it's losing 10% of its value every year. So money has to be deployed somewhere. I'd love to hear from you like, where do you think money should be invested or, or how are you conceptualizing in 2022 where you can still invest money for a return where there's not a huge risk with everything just feeling so expensive? Yeah, well, a couple of things. I mean, I'm, you know, every year I do, there's a couple oil and gas investments that I do that are very tax favorable. And, you know, you, you're able to roll over your, your, your income from those and and get more of a tax write off and I just I just put a very small amount in those every single year. I put uh, money in a similar ATM fund, so it's a a guy that puts together a fund. Uh, they go out and they buy locations for ATMs. They get a new machine, and you get a hundred percent depreciation in year one, and then you get a set payout um, until you get your capital back. Plus, I think it's like. 20%. And then you adjust that for ta- for depreciation and it, your tax benefit and it becomes a really solid deal. I like those kind of structured deals like that. Um, I'm invested in a lot of multifamily uh, syndications and self-storage syndications. And, you know, I like those because I think, you know, it, people are going to need to live somewhere. There's a shortage of places to live in general. If people, if, if tax if, uh, interest rates keep going up and people don't want to buy, they're going to want to rent. So I'm a big believer that multifamily, even though it's very, very hot and frothy, as you put it, I still think multifamily is going to grow um, and still rents will still go up. And I think, you know, property values will go up. Um, I also, you know, put my money in places like, um, you know, I have some life insurance policies that, you know, are structured specifically for me where I can put the money and if I need it later, I can borrow it. And, uh, you know, at the end, um, there's a death benefit that that'll help with the state taxes and other things at the end. So that's another safe place, I believe, to put it. I don't put any money in the stock market, even my IRA and stuff is invested in like private equity companies that go in and turn things around like a KKR or something like that. And, uh, you know, I, I also am always looking for, like I said, the, the small operator to buy something smaller, um, and find deals that are, that are, you know, fourplexes or eight plexes. Like I put an offer in on a fourplex with a buddy the other day in Austin for 300, you know, we'll, we'll see if we get it, but you know, if we get it, then, you know, he'll do all the work and we'll split the equity. But, you know, I don't know if there's a, a lot of safe places to put uh, cash. I wouldn't put it in Bitcoin because it's so <laughs> volatile. I wouldn't right. put it in the stock market. You know, I think right now I'd almost rather just have cash. And even though there's some inflation, you know, 10% or whatever, if it does crash, 
I'd like to be ready and have that money. So whatever you do, you know, make sure you have enough of it liquid or close enough to liquid so that you can be ready when the frenzy is upon us. Because if something does crash, then we're going to be sitting in a place where we'll wish we had bought a bunch of stuff like in 2008 and 2009 when, you know, I didn't, I didn't know and I didn't have the money to do what I would do now, given if the, 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 the roles were reversed. But with inflation, it's hard to peg, right? And you know so much about this. I learn a lot from the content that you put out too. But, you know, when it comes to inflation, it's like, well, will the prices of houses ever come down? Because if inflation is going to keep going and going and going, like, is there an end to it? It's not like 2008 where there's clearly mismanaged funds and there's going to be a bubble that pops this time the mismanaged fund is they printed so much money that everything is becoming worth more and more and more and the dollar is being devalued, which, you know, I, that's about all I really understand and know about it. But for me, it forces me to want to hold a lot of cash. So right now I have a number and it's, it's like our, our whole team meeting and everything we talk about is getting to this like uh, rainy day fund, like getting enough set aside and then we'll decide if there are some safer places to keep it that that we can still access it and maybe have it earn one or two percent interest. Yeah, I love it, man. I, I remember in 2008, same thing. You know, my money is directly or my income previously um, and still directly correlated to the health of the market, right? Because I still do mortgages. I still coach mortgage loan officers. So it's like when I have a lot of disposable income, it is when houses are expensive and everybody's doing loans and people are buying houses. And I remember in 2008, 2009, going to wealthier friends of mine because I was wiped out and effectively dead broke. I remember going to wealthier friends of mine and be like, please, please, please buy this fourplex in in Atwater Village for $330,000, which now would resell for like a million nine. And, you know, it's hard when there's blood in the streets to pull the trigger. So that discipline of like having the dry powder, saving the cash, having the liquid assets. But when things are down 40%, it's like, well, is that the time to deploy the cash? Because maybe it'll go down 60%. And when it's down 60%, it's like, well, there's blood in the streets. And it seems like a lot of people are losing their house. Could housing go down 80%? And it's just, it's so hard to time that market. And I know you're not an emotional guy when it comes to investing. So I believe that you will do it. Um, I just don't know if I would have the heart to do it. Like just as I'm seeing things sink, be like, yes, into the market, into the breach rerun. Like I don't, I don't know if I'm going to be mentally prepared for that. So you'll have to text me at some point in the future and be like, all right, Scott, it's time to deploy cash. Just trust me. Don't be emotional. Yeah. I mean, it'll be hard to time, right? I'll more likely catch it as it starts to go up and be a little bit late because, you know, like you said, it's hard to hard to peg. And, you know, I, I think I learned enough last go around to just make sure I have a bunch of cash saved up. And then, you know, as, as the saying goes, you don't wait to buy real estate, you buy real estate and wait. So I think if you look at it as a long-term investment, like that's definitely for me, my outlook is that that's the safest place for us to really, it doesn't leave it as liquid, but I don't see there being a huge bubble that pops and, and we see a 40% drop in housing values. We might see a 10 to 15% drop if there's a market correction, but I don't think it'll be more than that. And I think it'll recover in five, you know, five to seven years. 
Yeah. So I still yeah. like the, the, if you can find real estate, especially wholesale or pocket listings or before it hits the market, I mean, you know, look at the deal. And if, if you're somebody, by the way, you mentioned a few times, like, yeah, that's easy for you. You know, you've got the money to, to pay cash or whatever, but you will find the money. If you find the deal and it's a good deal, finding the money is easy right now. So, right. you know, right. for, for everyone wanting to get in the game, if you're just waiting until you have the money to do it, like you're just wasting time, like get good at analyzing deals, get good at finding them then go bring them to experience people, have them verify what you're seeing. And if it's a good deal, they'll partner with you and give you sweat equity. I will. Um, well, we've got a buddy. uh, We got a buddy, Mike Higgins out in Wisconsin. He's a realtor, part of front row dads with us. He posted on Instagram, you know, kind of what we're talking about, right? Like there in every market, there's deals to be found. You know, we found this house that's probably worth 185 current condition, probably worth 250 fully renovated the owner's kids are just done with it it's a shithole he's like we locked it up for i think ninety-eight thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars so a hundred percent rate of return i know because i talked to him he's like i don't have 150 grand on this project to just buy it and renovate it and flip it he put it on instagram in one post I, I called him. He's like, oh, yeah, that that was fully funded in like seven minutes. And yeah. and he had to be really careful because you can't really solicit deals on Instagram. So he didn't talk about interest rates or rate of returns. He just simply said, here's the math of an opportunity that's out there. And by the time I called him like five hours later, he's like, oh, yeah, I already, I already had a bunch of people put up the money. We're good to go. So the money can be found if you're willing to hustle and find the deal. You got to go quick. You got to move fast in today's market. You got to try to lock it up and don't get in the bidding war situations. If you can avoid it, try to hit it, get it before it hits the market door knock, you know, whatever you've got to do. But yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. And, you know, I just hope our country can, can keep it shit together, honestly. And, you know, I hope that people have really woke, woke up like in the in the good good sense of the term like i hope people are really understanding that there's a middle ground like we can't get too extreme on either side that's what i love about your approach to politics scott is that um you know i i don't really know which side you're you more lean towards because you're such a good uh you know vetter of both both sets of information and you take what you learn from one side and what you learn from the other and you form your own opinion, which is the way it's supposed to be. But so many of us now find ourselves uh, on one side or the other of, a, of an issue and we can't seem to find this common ground that is the core of having a, a healthy society. Uh, so I hope that we can just move through this together, whatever's coming, crashes, bubbles, you know, whatever. I just hope we're able to find a way to move through it as a society and do it, you know, collectively. And a lot of that has to do with how we raise our children, right? I know that this is important to you We, as we, we do front row dads together. And, you know, it's our duty to, to really show up as the, the fathers and the, the family members that our children really need and, and spend the time with them that they deserve and make sure that we instill in them all of the values and strengths and 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 learnings that they're never going to get at school you know they're they're not going to get it even maybe at the boy scouts or at in in doing their extracurricular activities they're going to learn what you do 
watch you and see how you lead in the home and and hopefully someday get to see you lead your business and how you do how you how you do uh, things in the business world and i think if our kids can learn both of those things uh, then we have a chance really at healing you know society and finding more more unity instead of more differences because we seem to be hooked on all the things we disagree on instead of how similar our life experiences really are um, when you boil it, boil it all down. Totally. And especially social media, right? It's like enragement gets engagement. So you put up some thoughtful post and three people will interact, but you say something really controversial and you get 500 reactions. This kind of goes to the direction I wanted to close up here. And I know your, your time is valuable. We got a few more minutes. Um, you know, I, I know you as somebody who has done the work, right? Like you said, you're meeting with Dr. Flanagan. We'll make sure we have a link to him in the in the show notes. He's another fellow Front Row Dad. We'll make sure we have a link to Front Row Dads as well. But you're somebody that I know who's consistently putting in the work of, hey, I've got a business to run. I've got team members I'm responsible to. But at the core, I've got to be a great father and a great husband share with us like what's the best thing you're doing right now as a dad and what's the best thing you're doing right now as a husband like the coaching the mastermind the 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 counseling with Dr. Flanagan the stuff that you've been exposed to like what's really set into your heart as like this is the thing that I'm doing really well, really well right now as a father and this is the thing I'm doing really well right now as a husband yeah great question you know for as a father, what what I think I'm doing a great job of right now is, especially as my son uh, embarks in the teenage years, he's 13. I don't know if you remember those years, um, but for me, those were challenging years. You're developing, you don't, you have hormones. You're you've you've got relationships and cliques and bullies and. You're, you also have schoolwork on top of it all and a lot's expected of you. And so, you know, w with my son, what I've been trying to really have him understand is that even if he's not doing what I want him to be doing or what I think he should be doing is I'm trying to let him know that uh, I have his back no matter what, even if he makes mistakes or does something he shouldn't do. Um, and I said, even if you lied to me, made a bunch of mistakes, found yourself somewhere where you weren't safe or you didn't know your way out. That's when you call me. That's when you pick up the phone and you say, dad, I need your help. And if you do that, then I'm not going to punish you or be mad at you for all the dumb mistakes and, and things that you did leading up to your, you being in that position. So I want you to know I have your back no matter what, no questions asked. I'll pick you up from anywhere, anytime, for any reason. I have your back. That's all I care about. And I want you to know that. And I wanted him to start understanding this now because as he gets older, we know kids do stupid shit. And they usually lie before they do stupid shit. So then when they do the stupid shit, they can't tell anyone that they did some stupid shit or they <laughs> right. can't find a safe way out of it. And, you know, at least this is what my friends told me happens because I was an angel, obviously. Of course, of course. Happened. Yeah, I did nothing wrong either. Um, but, but anyways, I'm trying to just make sure that as he goes through his teenage years, he knows that I'm not a source of judgment or... 
Uh, my job as a parent, yes, is to guide him and tell him what to do. But my main role is that I have his back and that he knows no matter what I have his back. And so that's, that's where I'm focused at as a parent right now, very keenly, because we're going through a lot as a family. He broke his leg recently. You know, he, he, he had an incident earlier this year where he got kicked out of a snowboarding school that he was at for eight weeks or he got sent home early. So he's just in his teenage you know, years. And that's what I'm really, really working on with, with him. Um, and then I can, I'll share, if you have any comments on that, feel free. And then I can share with you what, what my wife and I are doing too. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. funny because I, um, I was a wreck of a teenager, um, for context, my senior year of high school, my mom had to go beg the school board to let me graduate because even though I had straight A's, they had this weird obscure rule where if you had more than 50 absences, you couldn't graduate. And in like 200 days of public school or 180 days of public school, I had like 57 absences because I was surfing, I was chasing girls, I was ditching, I was like, luckily I didn't fall into drugs, but all of the other debauchery you can do as a teenager, that was me. And you know, I have a, we've talked about this, I have a challenging relationship with my father as an adult, but as a teenager, he couldn't have done a better job. There was no front row dads for my dad. There was no, you know, going to Tony Robbins. Like he was just a hard working motherfucker when I was a kid. And I, I will never forget. There were several times where he like grabbed me by the head and he's like, look, your curfew is 11 PM. You better be home by 11 PM. However, I also know that nothing good with a teenager happens after 11 p.m. in a car. So if you're stuck somewhere, you won't be in trouble. There won't be any consequences. Call me at 11.59, find a phone, and just be like, hey, I'm drunk, I'm here, I'm gonna bed down for the night, and like, I'm not gonna try to rush home to beat this curfew. He's like, because that's how, that's how teenagers end up dead. And I remember we had a lot of conversations like that where, you know, um, his primary goal was keeping me safe as a father and having my back. And that shit really matters to me, you know, as an adult. So, uh, yeah, before I start crying, go off about what you're doing best with your wife. Yeah, no, that's awesome though, man. Your dad did a great job with that. And that's, that's beautiful. It's, it's, it seems to have worked out. You're an okay guy. So. <laughs> yeah. I, I have my moments. Yeah. Um, you know, the thing with my wife is that um, we're really learning how to 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 complement each other and sh and just know that we have shared strengths and that we're different. We're different people. And each of us has different perspectives and different ways of approaching things. And I think we're really finding a way to value and respect who the other person is and allow them to be who they are. Um, and that takes, uh, has taken a lot of work, uh, because if you're not aware of, of it, a lot of the cycles that played out when you were a child or whatever your childhood trauma might be, or whatever it is where you feel not worthy, if we're not careful, we'll generally try to play those out with our significant other, like in some way they will, will project that on them or we'll see that in them and it reminds us unconsciously of that so we're both on a journey to really heal our trauma and then we continually grow together 
And then we, we, what we're doing right now really well, I think is just a lot of shared, shared strengths and a lot of alignment. We, we took the Enneagram, if you've never taken that, um, E N N E A G R A M, I think, uh, Enneagram. And, uh, that really helps you to understand people, teams, family members, um, you know, whoever it might be, and just how it helps you to understand that people are different. And we all come from this sort of sense of needing to protect ourselves. And if we can break down those barriers, especially with the people we're most intimate with, um, then there's a lot of growth that can be had. And it's beautiful to find, uh, like my wife and I, are lucky because we're both on this journey. You know, a lot of people, it's one spouse or the other or, um, or neither. Um, and I think that can be very challenging as well, but luckily we're both sort of have always been goal setters and competitive. And she played, um, uh, division one field hockey when she was, uh, in college. So she's athletic and we just kind of have that, uh, we do things at level 11 in our family, not, not nine, not eight, you know, we're, we do level 11. So I love that about you, man. It's like you, you really embody the go abundance spirit of like, you know, one life worth living, get after it, go big. Like that's, it's just one of the things I really appreciate you about you while also being understated and humble. Like most people that are trying to grab life big and do the things and do the snowboarding camps with their kids, they're also really boisterous and in, in my opinion, douchey about it. And you've just found this really nice, like even keel of like, man, we're going big and we're gonna be humble about it and like just have a good time and and be good people. And I, I just really respect that about you, which is why I want to catch up over a conversation. Um, I've got two closing questions and uh, I'll, I'll prep you for the first one. So your subconscious can be working on it. You know, there's, you watch the news, you watch social media, everything's negative. Everything's falling apart. We're just coming out of the COVID drama. Now we're about to go into election season drama. So I'd love to hear one of the things in 2022 that you're most looking forward to, or the thing you're most looking forward to. But before we get to that question, I always like to close with favorite movie. Cause I feel like you can learn so much about somebody. I'm a big movie junkie. What's your favorite movie all time and why? Uh, it's too easy. Point break. Yes. And, I tried to name my son Bodie and my wife wouldn't let me. I named my dog Bodie. So <laughs> I got away with that. But, but yeah, I mean, I just love the uh, action. I love the sort of like uh, the way that the you love the, the the bad guys. You root for them, but you're not. You're sort of torn. And Patrick Swayze is just like the ultimate surf god guru. Um, so, and then John, John, you know, Johnny Utah, Keanu Reeves, character is just, you know, young, dumb. And as they say in the movie, I won't say full of cum, podcast, but Just yeah, he's, uh, he, he's, he's, and he's every bit of that and, you know, eager to make his bust. And I just think it's the kick-ass story. And I just, I love it, man. I love every part of that movie. I've probably seen it like 40 times, man. And it's Gary Busey's best role ever as like kind of yeah. the washed up cop, like the Obi-Wan Kenobi yeah. type guy. It's like, it, it, it's so funny. Cause it's in my mind, uh point break is like 
a modern day Star Wars. Like you've got the young, dumb, you know, uh, Luke Skywalker. You've got Gary Busey as Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's like, you kind of want to even root for Darth Vader because he's so cool and he's probably the coolest character in the movie, but he is really a bad guy. It's just like, it's one of my favorite movies as well. Utah, get me two. Get me two. Um, all right, so best movie. I'm super glad I asked that question. Um, and uh, thing you're looking forward to most, like you know, coming to the middle end of 2022. Like, what's on your radar? Whether it's a whether it's an event, whether it's just more time with the family. Like, what are you most looking forward to in 2022? You know, it's definitely more time with the family. So you know, the older I get, the no, the more I realize like my time with my parents and Lindsay's parents is, is limited. And so we're going to spend a lot of time with family, uh, this year. We'll probably get some camper van trips in. We bought a camper van last year and we hit, uh, nine States and 11 national parks. So we'll do some more of that this year. We really love camping, uh, together and, you know, I'm, I'm also looking forward to my cousin, Monica, she's getting married. So, um, you know, I don't have a, a big family. So, and she came along a lot later in life. So she's kind of like a little sister ish, maybe almost like daughter like uh, figure to me. So that'll be great. And uh, I'll get to see lots of family there as well. So a lot of family focus and then, you know, business wise or career wise, I'm just doing a ton of podcasts and a ton of speaking engagements. So, you know, I speak on how entrepreneurs can be be better family men and show up and bring uh, leadership in a smooth way that everyone loves, um, because a lot of times they try to bring it in a, a not so smooth way. They try to be the CEO and kick the door in and they're the dictator. But there's a way that us uh, as entrepreneurs have a responsibility to bring leadership home and so I do a lot of speaking now on the, the playbook, which is uh, a collection of seven exercises that teach uh, leadership at home. And people can check that out at miraclemorning.com slash PF playbook, parents and family playbook. So miraclemorning.com slash PF playbook. There's two free exercises they can download, but if anybody's interested in having me speak to a small group, a big group, a company about the importance of putting family first. Uh, that's my big mission uh, for this year and for the coming years is to really get that message out there and try to make a difference in the world that way. I love it, man. I'll make sure that we uh, link to the Miracle Morning for Parents as well. And then uh, I'll kind of rack my brain. We, we run in a lot of the same circles, so it might be some overlap. But I'll rack my brain a little bit on uh, who we need to introduce you to so you can speak on that. Um, Mike, I really appreciate you being on, man. Again, I know your time's super valuable. Thank you so much. And uh, hopefully I'll see you in Austin later this year at uh, one of the Front Row Dad events. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for the opportunity. Really respect you, Scott, and what you do, not only in your industry, but the podcast that you've created. It brings so much value. So I'm honored to be a guest here. So thank you. Thanks, man. See you soon.